Well, let's continue in God's Word together. And we're continuing our series on unsung heroes of the Bible that we started uh, last week. Unsung heroes, what, what does that phrase mean to you? Well, you know, for me, it's, it's those people who are doing things uh, quietly, hidden away often, but who are doing heroic things for God. The small things often happening in, uh, in the quiet, often happening without fanfare. These are not the kind of the heroes of which songs and stories and legends are built necessarily. The songs of the football terrace that we often hear, you know, the people who are the superstars having their songs sung about the amazing goals or performances that they put in. These are unsung heroes, the people who are still doing amazing things, but without the applaud it, the applause and the plaudits. And in fact, the story that we want to talk about today is a story of uh, two women called Shipra and Pua. And for many of you, I'm sure those are names that don't even register, I think. Well, we're going to take a look at their life and see a little bit more about how their story relates to the wider story of God's people and how these two unsung heroines, if you like, were so important to that story. So if you've got your Bible there, you turn to Exodus chapter 1, verse 6, and we'll begin there. But before we do so, let's remember the context. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, the story of God's creation and and God's um, beginning of his journey with his people Israel. And that story ends with Joseph. Do you remember Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? He's a son of of Israel, sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. And he ends up in prison and is eventually saved to become a key advisor to the Pharaoh of Egypt, helping him to uh, fight through a famine, uh, through some careful thinking and some careful planning of grain supplies. He dies in Genesis chapter 50, verse 26, at the age of 110 years old having been a loyal servant of the Pharaoh. And that's the background story for where we start our uh, our talk today in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. So let's read that together. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and, if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shippera and Pua, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, If you see that the baby's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. 
And the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Well, that's our reading. And in the rest of our time together, I want to give you three reasons this morning why Shippara, meaning beautiful, and Pua, meaning splendid, are unsung heroes of the Bible. They are used, we might say, beautifully and splendidly by God. What might we learn about being faithful to God from their story? Well, let's take the first reason for me. Because they did the right thing when they were told to do something that they need to be wrong. The second example that we'll look at, because they feared the right person, even when they stood to lose everything. And the third example, because they loved the right people, even more than themselves. And as we'll see, their decisions made in the middle of a a fearful and oppressive climate in Egypt had lasting impacts across the generations. And God blessed them and their descendants greatly. So let's look at each reason in turn then, beginning with that first reason. Shippara and Pua are unsung heroes of the Bible because they did the right thing when told to do something that they need to be wrong. Pharaoh gives these two midwives a murderous command in verse 16 to kill all the sons born to the Hebrew women. This is what it says. When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. So it seems quite strange to be selective in the slaughter, doesn't it? Given that the the daughters are reproducing too. And they probably aren't that involved in the construction of these new store cities where, following Joseph's insights, the Egyptians were building fortified cities for food for use during the lean years. So what's happening with this command to kill the boys? Well, Pharaoh's thinking is exposed in verse 10, isn't it? Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous and, if war breaks out, will join our enemies fight against us and leave the country. The boys, in other words, were likely rebels who might side with armed foreign powers to take on their former slave masters in Egypt. That's the reason why there is a murderous command issued by the pharaoh. But thankfully, the midwives disobey the order of pharaoh and refuse to take life. We can quite easily gloss over this point and dismiss it as infanticide or genocide that happened a long, long time ago. Something like this would not happen now. Well, many commentators note parallels with our own society, actually, with modern abortion practice. We know a loud battle in the US, but largely a silently accepted practice in the UK, where in 2021, government figures suggest 225,000 abortions were performed, to about 25% of all pregnancies that don't end in miscarriage, end in abortion. The point that we see over and over in scripture is that we ought not to take life, 
to murder, in other words. No matter how accepted it might seem, no matter what the laws of the land might say or permit, no matter what people in authority might offer us or command us to do, no matter how easily accessible the technologies of death are, over the counter even, we do not take life. We often hear this verse from Psalm 139, when we celebrate the news of pregnancy. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And it's important to read here that, that phrase in the context of Pharaoh's infanticide too. We can also read it alongside the words of the French theologian John Calvin. The fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being. And it's a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. And we might add to which God is calling it. Of course, and please hear me here, there is forgiveness for any who turn and repent of having committed the sin of taking life, including those of the unborn. And the Lord extends his hand of favour and grace to them. All of us, let's not forget, are sinners in need of a saviour. But because of the scriptures, because of what we know about the value of life, because of what we know about Jesus' heart for children, because of all these passages which we read of speaking of God's handiwork inside the womb, we ought to pray and work towards protecting life. As one commentator noted, and I find this phrase very helpful, we, we do that redemptively, in other words, to save people from error, not accusingly. So if a pharaoh, a government official, a partner or a family member tells us to take innocent human life, we do well to follow the example of these Hebrew midwives who did the wrong thing and refused to kill, even when they were told to do what was wrong. But I don't know if you've noticed this, in all this, this conversation about doing the right thing, didn't they lie to Pharaoh in the story? Isn't that a sin too? Well, some time probably elapses between that murderous command in verse 16 and the decision of Pharaoh to call the women in. Probably wasn't just a few days or, or weeks later when they got a report, but it might have been years probably when Pharaoh looks out and sees that this murderous command that he's issued doesn't seem to be working. There still seem to be as many boys as there were before. They keep multiplying, in other words. Maybe they're here whispers or reports of these Hebrew midwives not taking command of their operation, not doing as they were told. Let's not miss the fact that these women probably knew that they were going to be called in one day. For all the weeks, months, maybe years, that they'd been silently refusing to take life, when they were quietly disobeying the murderous command of the Pharaoh, they knew that a day would come when there would be a call from the Pharaoh, when he noticed, and that they would be brought in to give an account for themselves. Why have you done this? The Pharaoh asks in verse 18. Why have you let the boys live? And they give this response in verse 19. The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Vigorous might mean here that these women are giving birth quite quickly, that they don't need midwives, and that there's little that can be done. 
for those of us who've, who've witnessed the birth, sometimes that's the case, but often it's not. Birth is often a, a protracted and quite loud experience. So if it's true what they say, it's uh, probably a partial truth. No doubt the midwives had thought about what they were going to say. And regardless of its truthfulness, their answer pointed Pharaoh's suspicions away from them. Now, were they wrong to lie? This is, again, something that the commentators dwell on. Some, people like Calvin, actually, argued that Shippera and Pua were sinners. They should have told Pharaoh that these children are alive because we refuse to obey that murderous command that you've issued. Other commentators perhaps notice that God does not condemn the women here, but in verse 20, God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. He blesses them, in other words. So perhaps the women are justified in God's word by telling Pharaoh this half-truth because of the motivation, most importantly, behind those words. That's to save the lives of others. So however we come down on Shippur and Pua, we read in verse 20 that the Lord was kind to them and overlooked it. So that's the first reason why I think Shippur and Pua are heroes, unsung heroes of the Bible. Is the second reason that they're unsung heroes, that they feared the right person even when they stood to lose everything. Did you see that the whole passage is dominated by fear? Fear is everywhere in Egypt. Everyone has something to be afraid of. And it starts at the top with Pharaoh in verse 9. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. They're overwhelmed. Then look at verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. So Pharaoh is afraid. He's afraid of the Israelites and these Israelite boys. But the Hebrew midwives, you read, didn't fear Pharaoh. Or if they did, they knew one much more powerful who was to be feared. The action in the story all hinges on that amazing statement in verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So having been just told by the most powerful person in the nation, in the empire, and probably the most important person in the history of the world up until that point, we read in verse 17 that they didn't do what the king of Egypt wanted because they feared God. Now we all fear something, don't we? It's a very common human emotion. I'm afraid of using, uh, sorry, of losing my uh, good youthful looks uh, my son Elliot is afraid of having his hair washed. But you might fear other things more seriously. You might fear some sort of loss in your life. What your parents think about your decisions. What your employer thinks about your productivity. You might fear what would happen if you lost your job or an income. You might fear what your classmates will say about you if they find out you're in church on Sunday. You might fear about what people think about you when you say that you pray or you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Everyone fears something. But the midwives weren't afraid of Pharaoh. 
they feared the Lord. And when we hear that phrase, it doesn't mean that we're scared of God. Don't let me think, don't walk away from the service thinking that's what I'm trying to say. When we fear God, according to the Bible, it means the presence and purpose of God weighs upon us much more than the word, so the world of, of, the, of the flesh and the devil. We get our priorities right, in other words. We give God the honour that he's due. Our priorities are revealing of where our heart is, I think. What we value and what we feel will help us solve a problem or satisfy ourselves. That's why the Bible is keen to correct our priorities by encouraging us, like Shipra and Pua, to fear the Lord. Not to be afraid of him, but to prioritise him and his ways above those of the world and its rulers. Now, let me give you a quick uh, a quick quiz here. I'm going to ask you some questions now. And in the quietness of your own heart, you can answer yes or no to these. Okay? Do you want wisdom? Well, Proverbs 9 verse 10 says... Fear the Lord. Do you want to know God and make good decisions in your life? Well, Exodus 20, sorry, verse 20 says, fear the Lord. Do you want to enjoy a long life and avoid evil? Well, Proverbs 14, 2 and 16, 6 say, fear the Lord. Do you want contentment and peace? Well, Jesus himself in Matthew 10, 28 says, fear the Lord. Do you want to live with gratitude? 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, fear the Lord. And do you want to receive God's mercy? I know I do. Luke 1, 50 says, fear the Lord. Well, that's the end of the quiz. The fear of the Lord is such a central part of the Bible story. But I'm going to be honest with you here, and I'll speak up for myself, that I seek answers to all of those previous questions in other things. I look for wisdom in self-help books. I look for good decisions in the words of others. I look for contentment in the latest gadgets glass of wine on a Friday night, or one more quick check-in on social media. I fool myself, in other words, into believing that I've got my priorities right, when in any rational observer would see I'm completely off track. I'm looking in the wrong place. I'll do everything but prioritise God and putting him in his rightful position in my life when I have those problems. But not so with these enslaved, illiterate midwives. They feared God. They weren't scared of him. They had a healthy respect, a reverence, we might say, for the one that had created them in the universe, the person who had a claim on their life, not the Pharaoh, but the Lord God. So they obeyed him. They aligned their actions with his priorities and they did things that honoured him rather than the one on the throne of Egypt who could put them to death. And just think for a moment about everything else that they had to fear in that context. They could have 
feared the, the slave masters. They could have feared for their livelihood, the loss of their job. They could have feared ultimately for their own lives. And you could start to see that they might rationalise quite easily. Well, you know, we don't like it, but we'll have to do it because we've been told to do it by our boss. And that decision that they made ultimately from thousands of years of hindsight looks quite easy to us, doesn't it? Because we're safely removed from it. But on the one side, they had their job, their safety, their lives. And on the other, angering their boss, uncertainty, suffering and probably death. And some of us are already facing difficult questions like them. On one side, it's our job, our prestige. On the other, uncertainty, suffering. What was it that encouraged the midwives? Well, it was fear. Not being afraid, but the right kind of fear. The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom, according to the Bible. It's about aligning your priorities with those of God and seeking his help to act justly. So that's the second reason why I think uh, Shipra and Pua are unsung heroes. And finally, thirdly, and quickly, I did want to reveal a, another reason why they're uh, unsung heroes of the Bible. It's that they love the right people even more than themselves. And here's where we need to put the choice of Shipra and Pua in the wider context of the story of Exodus and the legacies of their actions. I want to point particularly to the, the, the follow-on consequences of their decision on three other women. The first is Moses' mother. Her name is Jochebed. She's pregnant at the time of Exodus. And that murderous command that we read about in verse 16 is reiterated at the end of verse 22. Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. She's got an older son called Aaron and a daughter already. But her next child, the one in her tummy, is supposed to be thrown in the Nile if he's a boy. Now think of, think of that situation, the fear, the terror, the horror associated with living in that kind of uncertainty, that kind of murderous climate. So what do you do? Well, we've already heard today from Elizabeth about how hard it is to keep children quiet and asleep. And just think about Moses' mother, a screaming child. Something had to be done, otherwise he'd be found out. So she takes a basket, puts a baby in it, puts him in the river and prays. She is full of courage, in other words. We read in Hebrews eleven twenty three. we're going to look at this in a bit more detail next week. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and what? They were not afraid of the king's edict. Like the midwives, Jochebed knew to fear the Lord, not this earthly king. And even at the risk of inconvenience and death, she loves her beautiful baby, following the example of Shipper and Pua, and knew he was worth hiding from harm to protect him. We have a second woman, Moses' sister, Miriam. She doesn't have to decide the fate of Moses, but she watches as her little brother floats down the Nile. We read in Exodus 2, verse 7, His sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, who discovers the basket, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says to her, Go. So the girl went 
and called the child's mother. She's watchful, she's creative, she's inventive. She thinks on her feet. In answer to that question from Pharaoh, she reunites Moses with his mother. She's faithful too. She loves Moses as an advocate, in other words. And again, this is a knock-on consequence of Shipra and Pua's love for the children of Egypt. And thirdly, let's not forget Moses' adoptive mother as well. We don't know much about her, but we read in verse 6, when she opens the basket, Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. He became her son, we read in verse 10. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. That pity of the crying baby must have been something that Shipra and Pua experienced too. And for Pharaoh's daughter, whatever the risks she might have been facing, was she risking an act to do this? We don't know. What a sweet human thing she did. So Moses' mother was courageous, sending her baby downstream. Her sister determined to help, and Pharaoh's daughter is motivated by love. All three of them give us this picture of common grace, don't they? Caring for a crying child. Pharaoh's daughter has mercy on this helpless child. And it's a wonderful vision, I think, of God's adoption of us too, isn't it? Into his family. Now, many of us are are familiar with the story of Exodus. And we often think about Exodus as the story of Moses, as the great hero who freed his people from Egypt with God's help and who split the seas. We know that Moses is going to be the human hero for the rest of the book. But I do want you to note this as a final point. Up to this point in the story of Exodus, the beginning of chapter 2, Exodus is a story that gives us the key image in the Old Testament of God's redemption of his people. This story is moving forward through five women. And most importantly, by five women who are caring for children whether it's their own children or other people's children. God uses all of them in ways they couldn't fully understand simply by loving children and protecting their lives. We need to know this final point, I think, that a life given away in care of children and compassion towards children, whether their own or others, is not a wasted life. You read in many of the lifestyle magazines and in the newspaper this morning, I was reading something about this in which it says that motherhood is a waste of time, effectively. That women should dedicate themselves to their career. Why lose the money and why lose the prestige of raising children at home when you could have better things by working and dedicating yourself to other priorities? Well, I think God provides us with a picture of this, doesn't he? God the Father sending his son to give his life for his children. What a picture that is meant to be of giving your life sacrificially for others. And in that moment, of course, it seemed for all the world that Jesus had wasted his life hanging on a cross. But God had a plan, just as he did through Shipper and Pua. Jesus, our perfect redeemer, who turns towards the cross saying, not my will, but yours be done, and who lovingly gives his life 
as a ransom to rescue many. So Shipra and Pua, unsung heroines of the Bible for three reasons. They did the right thing when told to do something they need to be wrong. They feared the right person, even when they stood to lose everything. And they loved the right people even more than themselves. Let's pray.